0: Hi, I'm Tara. And I'm Steph. And we're from Kobo Writing Life, Kobo's free, fast and easy self-publishing platform. KWL was built by authors for authors, and our team of dedicated book lovers is always working hard to help authors reach new readers around the world. With Kobo Writing Life, authors can now publish audiobooks and ebooks right in their KWL account. We don't ask for exclusivity, and you'll always control your pricing in up to 16 currencies. You can also create a pre-order for your audio and eBooks with no date limitations. We have a lot of great promotional opportunities for Kobo Writing Life authors available in the Promotions tab right in their KWL dashboard. If you're an author and you don't have access to the Promotions or Audiobooks tab, email us at writinglife@kobo.com, at and we'll get you sorted. We're all about providing excellent support. Create your free account today at
1: kobo.com slash writinglife. If you want to learn more about Kobo Writing Life, check out our blog, podcast, and find us on social. Happy writing!
0: J.K. Rowling was nearly homeless when she wrote the first Harry Potter book. Stephen King penned Carrie in a small desk wedged between a washer and dryer. James Patterson worked in advertising and famously crafted the
1: Toys R Us theme song long before becoming an author. Join New York Times bestseller J.D. Barker and indie powerhouses Jay Thorne and Zach Bohannon as they pull back the curtain on some of the world's most prolific authors. Where did they start? What is their process? The biggest names in publishing all have origin stories, all have tips and secrets, what does it take to consistently top the best seller lists and become a household name get your notepad out
0: schools in session this is writers inc okay man we are Zachless uh today for our q a episode we got zach is is traveling for the holiday so uh let's pretend we already had christmas how was yours man
1: (laughs) it was awesome i got absolutely everything i wanted me too I feel like we should talk dirt about Zach, you know, with him not being here, but I don't have any dirt on Zach. So <laughs> I, got, I got nothing to say.
0: I know. I don't have anything either. <laughs> the guy's squeaky
1: clean. He needs to run for office. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I don't know if I would go that far. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm watching out my window because I've got a, a survey team working on property lines out there today. So I'm just waiting for my, my crazy neighbor to come storming out of her door and try and run him off. Um, she hasn't yet. I've seen her at the window a couple of times watching him. Um, but she has, and I feel bad because it's like it's these young kids that probably have no idea what's going on. And like, I, I warned their boss. I don't know if he actually told them anything, but, you know, like Wicked Witch to my West is going to come running out and scare the crap out of them. <laughs> the saga continues. The saga continues. Yep. <laughs> uh, what else is going on? Um, I'm kind of stuck in editing hell. Like I've got my, my new book is back from my, one of my editors and I'm just going through, you know, accept, accept reject, accept, accept, <laughs> like try and really not, you know, hard not to just, you know, start hitting that button without actually reading what yeah. the, the change was. <laughs> you know, it's funny because it starts to get ahead of you. You know, like when it's a long book, it's like, you, you know, you start clicking, and clicking, and clicking. And it's almost like hitting that delete key on your email. Um, so I'm really trying to stay on top of what, he, what he's up to. And it's funny because like my brain seems to catch stuff. Like I'll click through a lot of these things and then like I'll, my brain will click on what I clicked through like four clicks ago. And then I got to like undo it and go back and be like, oh, wait a minute, this isn't right. You know, my my brain's working on some kind of weird delay. So I am chugging tons of coffee and and working on that. Um, Still trying to decode TikTok. Um, you know we talked about this briefly and, and I, I had a, a couple meetings with you know very big companies that basically do social media for you know public companies or you know large corporations that kind of thing um, one of them is running TikTok for for one of the top five publishers I don't want to say which one um, but they went into the, the campaign that they're working on and it, like I honestly don't see it working and I, like, I know you don't use TikTok or at least you don't tell anybody that you do you're probably on, you're probably on there scrolling through an hour a day but um, like when you first open the app it throws an ad in front of you um, and it, it, you have to kind of click on it a certain way in order to get it out of the way, or it, it stays there for maybe five or ten seconds before you can just, you know, like up swipe and get rid of it. Um, but from what I can tell, like that's the only time they actually put an ad in front of you. Um, I've seen other ones like place through, but that's the only one that's actually identified as an ad. Um, and you can buy spots, you know, which I'm doing right now. So you, you can create content, you can put it out there, and you can target, you know, in our case, Book Talk. Um, but and, and, you know, they've got an ad platform, which I think is still in beta because a couple of people told me they weren't able to get to it. And I've, I've been part of that for a while. So I'm not sure if it's publicly available or not. Um, But it works very similar to to Facebook. You know, you basically, you you pay per click, you know, you can, you set your budget every day, you you type in your target audience and just kind of let it go. Um, And I'm seeing a lot of click-throughs, but I don't have any way of knowing whether that's actually, you know, resulting in, in sales. And it just, it doesn't feel... I mean, it, it's it's doing something, but it just doesn't feel like it's going to be effective enough to be worthwhile. Mm. You know, it's almost like Facebook right now, where I'm just I'm throwing money at it. I know it's doing something. If I turn it off, I do see changes in my numbers, um, so I know it does do something. But it's you know not not the huge movement that I used to see, um, but it's there. And I'm just I'm not sure if TikTok is quite there yet. So I'm I'm, I'm still trying to figure it out. It, it, being autistic, when you throw a puzzle in front of me, like I can't let it go until I I've got a solution. So,
0: does it track you, links through TikTok?
1: It it does, but you know, it, it basically just tells you you had a click through. So oh. you know, I, from there, I can't you know, unless I use like an Amazon affiliate link and you know, tra- you trace that back to a sale. There's no way for me to know where it really where it went. Um, you know, and, and their video ads, like you know, you can't just take a you know, go on BookBrush and create a you know, whatever like oh, a, yeah. uh, or an image. You have to actually create a video, so that you know, adds a lot of work or time. Or in my case, I paid somebody to do it, so there's another expense there. Um, you know, it, it's, it's a tough nut. I'll, I'll crack it. I'll figure it out sooner or later, but I don't have it yet. What are you up to?
0: Um, yeah, still revising, working on my two projects, the, uh, comedy, the satire and the, uh, the nonfiction book, which is going to lead to the NFT project. So yeah, that's, uh, that's still moving along. Also wanted to, I, I made a note for myself. I, I wanted to give an on-air apology to, uh, the other Jason Porath, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <I> saw that. <laughs> that was uh really an interesting uh exchange on Twitter that we had. Uh, I didn't realize that uh there are two Jason Poraths who are both authors and ap- apparently at some point in the past their wires crossed enough times that they started up a friendship <laughs> and then they met in real life and got a picture together. And I was just like, "Oh, that's hilarious. Like uh the Jason Porath we interviewed was not the guy we tweeted at." Uh <laughs> Last week, but uh, it all turned out okay. But uh, so to the other Jason Porath, I'm sorry about that.
1: Well, at least he was nice about it. I saw the exchange, you know, flying across the the Twitter feed, and, you know, like a lot of people would probably be pretty, you know, pretty angry, you know, if that kind of thing happened. But how many Jason Peraths could there possibly be out there? Like, is is that a common name? That's what I mean. It's not like it's
0: John Smith or something. Like, I didn't think Porath was that common of a name, but apparently, you know.
1: Didn't the other one have some type of Guns N' Roses connection, too, or was it just because they knew each other? I think
0: it was just because they knew each other, yeah. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Strange (laughs) stuff, so. That's funny. (laughs) But yeah, that's, that's what we got. So we're uh, excited to knock out some questions today for the Q&A episode. I uh, want to just give everyone a reminder that if you want to be part of this and submit your questions to be answered on the air with us, you can do that at patreon.com slash podcast. So um, you ready, man? I got some good ones here. Bring, bring it on. I'm chugging the caffeine. All right. Nice. I'm going to start with this one because you were just talking about TikTok and I, I this might tie in. So Randy Spears wants to know, what's the best way to rejuvenate your backlist?
1: Um, wow, so I, I run ads for, for everything. I basically have two ad sets on, on Facebook, um, and I kind of follow that model on the other platforms too. So I've got one ad set that is for my new book, and like everything related to that ad set is just focusing on that one title. Um, you know, there might be four or five different ads in there, but they're all for that one title. And then my second ad set is everything else. So every, I've got, I think, nine books out at this point, so the other eight are, are piled in there. Uh, and I basically, you know, every time I release a new book, I take the, you know, the ad campaign from that one, you know, that, that's working out by itself, and I take all those ads and I put them in the, the general bucket is what I call it. Um, and then I split my, my ad you know, dollars between those two things. So basically 50% of my ad budget goes towards my new title and 50% goes towards my backlist. Um, and like I mentioned at the beginning, I mean, I do see, like, if I turn those off, I do see a difference. Um, you know, I, I see stuff, you know, scrolling across my phone all the time with people commenting on those, those ads. Um, you know, so people are seeing them, they're seeing the backlist and, and that's, you know, lighting it up. Um in my case, you know, I've got the forum case series, you know, series is huge when it comes to backlist because, you know, all you gotta do is rope them in with that one and they're, and they're back for the other one. So that's very helpful. Um, The other thing that I've noticed is just, you know, and this is obviously a very unique one-off kind of thing, but every time I have a book out there with Patterson or, you know, another, you know, co-authored big, you know, profile-type project, I pick up a slew of new readers, um, you know, because they, you know, they buy it because it's a James Patterson book. They like it because of the the voice or whatever. You know, it's different enough where they want to see what else that that particular co-author wrote. Um, Then they start digging into my back back catalog, so I rope them in that way. Um, But I just had this conversation with a a New York Times bestseller, a number one New York Times bestseller that's been doing this for for 30 or 40 years, Um, and we were talking about the the tortoise and the hare kind of thing because, you know, everything on the traditional side, when they publish a book, they shoot for that— Opening week, like every every advertisement campaign, everything they do is all pushing sales for that first opening week, just to try and hit that New York Times bestseller list. And after that, they just kind of drop the ball. They let it fizzle and, and go. Um, and if you you know if you want to take a look, you know go on um you know Amazon and you know pull up any big name author and, and take a look at their back catalog, and you're going to see their latest title is probably ranked in like the top 100 or 200 or so on Amazon, but their other titles are going to be in the you know the six digits or seven digits. You know, and they might even not even be that old. Um, And, you know, if you look at an indie author, it's a a very different picture. Like, you know, it's unlikely they're going to have something that high ranked, like in the hundreds, but all of their titles are going to be higher ranked. So they might have all, you know, like they might have six books out there or 10 books, and they're all like in 10,000 to 50,000, you know, nothing over a hundred, nothing over a million, um, where you're seeing some of these other ones. And it's because, you know, the, the, the way they're approaching this. So, you know, rather, you know, unless you're trying to hit a list, there's really no reason to really put a lot of focus into one particular title. It'll Spread those dollars out as much as you can. You know, there's there's absolutely nothing wrong with the theory that you know if you have a series out there, you know, throw people towards that first one. You're going to rope them in. You're going to they're going to pick up the other books. You know that that has worked from the beginning of this industry and it'll continue to work. Um, so f- focus on that.
0: Any other non-paid ad options that you're aware of that work?
1: No. No, it's, 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 it's rough, you know, because it's expensive and it's getting more and more expensive, you know, this pandemic has really changed that because now the traditional guys are throwing a lot of dollars at, at Facebook and the other uh, platforms and you've got to compete with that. Um, but I've tried turning all those ads off and I've seen my, my rankings drop, you know, almost immediately um, on, on all my titles and, you know, vice versa. The second I flip that switch and turn them back on, everything goes back up again. Um, so I know that that's still leading leading the charge, and I do a, a fairly decent number of interviews, you know, po- other podcasts and print and stuff like that. Um, and they, they don't seem to move the needle anywhere near as much as those those paid ads do. So I would love to discover another way to to, to move the needle, but um, at this point, it, it seems to be paid ads is the, the the way to go.
0: Yep. All right, that's pretty much the case. Let's get a complete other direction of the publishing journey. And uh, Christian Matthews asks. How does someone begin an email list when they don't have any books written or any content on their website?
1: <laughs> the, the chicken and egg thing. right? Yes. Um, yeah. So that, that's tricky too. Um, you know, like when I, when I first started out, I, I basically followed the guidance that was out there, which was get a website up there, you know, put a, the link to your mailing list directly on that, that homepage, you know, create a nag a screen if you need to, to try and rope people in. Um, there, there's really no easy way to do it. I, I, personally went out and i i sought out um you know people that would review my book um, there's a lot of websites out there that list you know people that post um, book reviews on Instagram and on um, you know on TikTok on all these different services there's websites that you know list all those there's some I, I found one for bloggers where they actually register and they, they'll tell you know they told that blog like what um, what uh, genres they prefer that kind of thing and you could use it to, to send books so I basically created a mailing list based on that and I think I ended up with about four or five hundred or so what I called media contacts um, and then I I solicited them you know Know, basically gave them the option to to get a free ARC you know in exchange for a review because um, I know most authors tend to target individual reviews but to me that seems like an impossible uphill battle because if you're sending out ARCs you know to let's say 100 people and even if you get 100 reviews out of that which you're not going to, you'll be lucky if you get 10%. you know w- what good is that really doing you? So my, my thinking was if I go out to a blogger who's got a following of you know 5,000, 10,000 people and they review my book, you know exponentially I'm going to you know, see a lot more on the sales side and a lot more on the, the review side um, and then that ends up hitting your mailing list because you know obviously the more eyeballs you're in front of, the more people know who you are, the more people will hit that list. Um, So, you know, that's how I started off. I just kept hitting, you know, going towards, uh, I can't talk today, Um, going towards that and just, you know, just chipping away at the list and just it gradually grew and grew and grew.
0: It really is a chicken and the egg problem. I I mean, I know on the indie side, cross promotions and newsletter swaps are a way to start building a list. But you have, if you have zero content, I, I think I think that's problematic. Like I, I think, Christian, you know, I, I would say like write a short story or, or something. Like I think you need something, because um, zero content is gonna be it's gonna be really hard. But if you check out sites like our buddy Evan at Story Origin, where you can sign up and do cross promotion within genre, uh, and start. But again, you have to be able to put something in front of an audience. People, I don't think people are gonna sign up for an email list with with nothing. Um, with no content whatsoever, so I would say, get get a basic one page or website up, and get a short story lead generator written, and then and then go from there. But I, I feel like without any content, uh, I, I'm not even sure how you get that off the ground.
1: Yeah, I've heard putting short stories in anthologies is a, a good way to get going to because you know you're in there with five or ten other you know, names that people might know, and then they discover you. Um, so so that's an option. I mean, honestly, the only thing I've, I've ever tried that totally fell on its head was giving away the, the book for free in exchange for uh, you know, somebody signing up. Um, and we've talked about that before. I mean, it's, it's a great way to, to pad your list. You're going to get a lot of email addresses. A lot of people will sign up, but those same people are looking for free content. Um, they're not they're not there to, to buy your next book. They're there to get your next book for free. Um, so it's nice to see a, a big mailing list come out of that. But if you know, if it's not a useful mailing list, it's it's kind of pointless to me.
0: Similar question uh, from Nils. He says, travel back in time, what advice would you give your younger self about working on your very first book?
1: Ooh, um, God, you kind of got me stumped. Um, you know, the, the, the thing is like i had been doing this for so long by the time I actually put out a book on my own, like I think I already knew a lot of the things that I needed to know going in. Um, so crafting the book wasn't the problem, it was really the, the marketing side and you know figuring how to get it to an agent, get it to a publisher and, and that whole route was still fairly new to me because I knew all those people but you know I had never worked with them on that level. I'd always been the, the hired gun to come in and clean up a, a manuscript that they already had. Um, I mean, if, if anything, I mean, it's the same stuff that we preach, I think, all the time. You know, it's just, it's all about discipline. You got to get in there. You need, really need to write every single day, even if it's only 100 words or 200 words. You know, you, you need to condition yourself to do that. You're going to get better at it. You're going to get, the voice is going to be consistent. You're going to get a book done within a year or so if you try that. Um, that's really what you need to do. I mean, most writers that I see that kind of fall on their head, they're the ones that are writing, you know, on, on Saturday for an hour or two. Um, and that's it. You know, they sit down at their desk at you know one o'clock on Saturday. They read what they wrote last week. They you know they don't remember any of it because a week's gone by. Try to get back into that same headspace, and then try to add a little bit to it, and then they they drop it again until the following you know week. Uh, you'll eventually get done, but you know it's it's really tough to write a book that way. So I think discipline, just getting yourself into that mindset, working on that book every single day, um, that, that's really key to getting off the ground.
0: Totally agree. I think it, you have to remember, Nils, it's a long tail. It's a long game. Uh, a, a micro fraction of a percent of authors have some kind of breakout success on a, on a first book, whether that's trad or indie. Um, and you just got to remind yourself that you got to be patient and you got to play the long game. And uh, you know, as as JD said, if you're if you're not loving this, like if you're not dying to get to the page every day. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I don't see how you can sustain it. Like, if it's just something you kind of dabble in occasionally, that's great. It's a great hobby, but I don't know if that's necessarily something that's going to help you get that first book written.
1: Yeah, I mean, honestly, I, I don't know a single writer who doesn't love to write you know and, and but i but i know a lot of people that want to be writers that hate writing you know, <laughs> they they just they, they have to force themselves to sit down and do the work um, you know if that's where you're at you know before you even get that first book done you know it, it it just gets harder because you know you've got a lifetime to write that first book you've got about 6 months to knock out the second one um, so you have to be ready to keep your butt in that seat every, every single day
0: absolutely let's take a uh what i think will be a fun question hopefully hopefully it'll be a fun question uh jeff wants to know Marvel movie fans or not Marvel movie fans? And if fans, to what level? (laughs) Uh, So I've watched them all.
1: Um, yeah, not necessarily because I'm a, a fan. I mean, I, I, to me, the, the stories have become so formulaic, um, but it's entertaining, you know? So like, I've, I've got the nice home theater. So like I did, the, you know, at the beginning of the pandemic, I sat down and watched every Marvel movie in order. I found a website that listed them. Um, and that, you know, it was fun to, to burn through them all that way. Um, but that being said, like, you know, they, they hit that same formula over and over and over again. And like, I don't, like when I first saw, I, th- I think it was Spider-Man, you know, like the very first, you know, like li- live action Spider-Man. Um, that one to me was very exciting because it was something fresh and new and we had never seen it before and you know holy crap it looks like the guy's really swinging around on webs and you know like everything about it looked you know real at the time I and mean, it looks totally hokey if you you know if you watch it today compared to the latest cgi and stuff um but you know like i, I think i've just become cynical i've seen so much of this like nothing shocks me nothing excites me about these things anymore but i'll, I'll sit down and watch them because I, I think at this point if, if you don't
0: they'll just disappear you <laughs> <laughs> uh, I I know I I might I might be getting myself in some real hot water here, but I don't like superhero movies at all <laughs> of any variety, Marvel or otherwise. Um, they're they're kind of like McDonald's to me. Like uh, you know uh, they taste good and, and I know what I'm getting but like like you said I they're they're pretty formulaic and really for me the superhero genre in general is pretty formulaic and uh, I'm just not a fan so I I don't I don't pass judgment like I, they are very entertaining films and I and I'm I love when people you know find something that's that's entertaining to them but as far for me I, they just don't hold my interest I mean I I can't remember a single plot uh, I've seen a few Marvel movies I can't remember a single plot. <laughs> so, well,
1: that's, yeah, I mean, that, that's kind of where it's at. Like, you can, you know, you can throw it on. It's good background noise and, you know, you can sit through it. But, yeah, it's just, it's, to me, it, yeah, I think describing it as McDonald's, that's probably a really, really good you know, analogy there yeah sorry if I offended anyone on that but <laughs> <laughs> probably probably pissed off everybody I mean honestly it's it's our fault as the audience you know like as mm-hmm. long as we keep like it's, it's mediocre entertainment to me but I think yeah. I've still seen every single one that comes out you know like we're lining those bank accounts and as long as we keep doing that and putting the money in their hands they've got no reason to change it um, you know, Spider-Man, the, the latest one, I think it just opened, at, I think it was 200, $230 million or something it did over its opening weekend um, during the pandemic, which is insane because most of these new movies are doing, you know, like $5 million or $10 million if they're lucky. Um, you know, people were lining up for this one. So, you know, we're not giving them any reason to change it. You know, like that, that's the magic formula. It's working. You know, it comes down to what I had mentioned last week. You know, like on, on the book that I'm adapting into a screenplay, like we're shooting for two hours and five minutes, um, you know, that's based on Die Hard you know it's like there's all these superstitions in, in Hollywood like when they land on something that's working like they're afraid to step an inch off to one side or the other they, they follow that line as, as closely as they possibly can
0: yeah yeah true well we get uh, we get two more that are sort of related so I think we'll we'll hit those uh, and, then, and then kind of wrap it up uh, <laughs> the first one I guess I'm going to ask you this question Jimmy wants to know getting into NFTs for books early is Jay crazy or brilliant <laughs>
1: Well, you know, it's, it's like anything else in, in you know, in, in life in general, I think, if you, if you want to succeed, like being an early adopter, like you're either going to fall flat on your face or you're going to do extremely well. Um, you know, I bought Netflix stock years back and, and I bought it because, you know, like I realized I'm going, you know, I, I, at first I was going to Blockbuster every day, you know, to, to buy or to rent movies, you know, and, and like I looked forward to Tuesday because that was release day. And then all of a sudden Netflix came along and made it real easy to put DVDs in my hand. Um you know i was sitting there staring at one of those dvds when when the company went public and i was like you know like i'm one of their customers and they they made this process very easy i don't have to go in my car anymore i don't have to you know gamble on whether or not the movie is there they're able to get it to me there's something there um, you know, so I, I bought stock in it and, you know, it could have either completely fizzled there, they were plenty of times in history where that, that company looked like it was going to go under, you know, Amazon too, you know, you just, you don't know. I mean, look at blockbuster that literally was one of the biggest stocks out there for the longest time. And like, they could have dominated this world if they adapted, um, but yeah, being an early adopter in, in NFTs, like I don't see a downside to it. You know, I wouldn't go all in, like I wouldn't mortgage my house and you know throw big numbers at it. But you know, peel off a little bit and give it a try. It's either going to score really big or or you're going to lose it all. But it's it's going to be one or the other.
0: So, yeah, yeah. I'll,
1: I'll wait and see what happens to Jay, and then I'll try. It.
0: <laughs> you know, as you said, like right now uh as far as my investment it's just time i'm learning stuff like I, I don't have tens of thousands of dollars tied up in nfts i mean i've thrown a few hundred dollars at nfts right now so if this whole nft thing is nothing and it goes absolutely nowhere the worst I, what's the worst that happens to me like okay i learned some skills on something that, that that doesn't exist anymore but like what's the upside you know um i i really think that uh I think NFTs are going to change the landscape for for many entertainment industries, not not just writing. So uh, the jury's still out, Jimmy. Uh, probably a little bit of both. But uh, the way I'm looking at it is, uh, I, there, like JD said, there's no downside. Like if if this if this falls if the whole NFT thing falls flat on its face, I'm not out anything. I'm not losing anything. I've I've just learned some other skills. So we'll see.
1: Well, I, I think you have to look at the the industry and just, you know, again, just follow the money. You know, so if you look at an NFT, you know, it's, it's, it's really cool that they're creating these one off things. And you could be the sole owner of this or the sole owner of that. Um, but that's, you know, from a do- dollar standpoint, it's, it's very small. But I, I think where NFTs actually could succeed or do really well is, you know, think about ebooks, you know, so we publish a book, you know, those are just copies, you know, that are floating around literally a file of, you know, copy of the file. With NFT technology, like they could watermark every single one of those files with some type of serial number or whatever and, and make it unique, which, you know, basically eliminates theft. Um, you know, the author collects a, a small percentage every time that changes hands, you know, for a monetary amount. Um, that's where I see it going. I, you know, I, I don't see myself buying a picture because it's an NFT and I'm the only owner. Um, but as an author, the ability to, to make sure that nobody is just duplicating my files and, and throwing them out there on the web. Um, I think that that's going to be huge. And, it, you know, it, small little pennies you know like a little percentage of a, a penny like that that's where the money will be made because it's it, you know it's, it's it carries up into big
0: numbers and it's going mainstream i mean i just read adidas is coming out with 30,000 nfts that are tied to physical merch so if you own one of these adidas nfts you're going to get like a special edition hoodie so this stuff's gonna be mainstream in a year or two, tops, guaranteed. Well,
1: you're, you're gonna see a lot of that going on. I think a lot of experimenting from people that can afford to play. So the big corporations are gonna try this, they're gonna try that, until they figure out what that magic formula is and how they can really you know take advantage of it and make some real money.
0: Yep. So here's a related question from Christopher Wills. He says, given that Facebook is going into the metaverse, do you think that in the near future, your avatar will walk along a metaverse road see advertising for a book, go into a metaverse bookshop and then buy the ebook version of the book you saw advertised discuss. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's very minority report. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and yeah, it is absolutely coming. Um, and, and not just in the, the metaverse, you know, I know Apple's got their, their augmented reality glasses are really close to hitting the, you know, the, are you know, the, the marketplace. Um, I just had a consultation with an, an eye doctor, um, because I, I've had LASIK done a couple of times, my eyesight's gone to crap and he was going through the latest processes that they've got to, to fix that. Um, and one of the things they can actually do is take the lens out of your eye, you know, your physical lens and replace it with an acrylic lens, um, that's implanted inside your vision never goes bad again, you know, cause it, it doesn't deteriorate like a, you know, something that's organic. Um, you know, that could very easily be, you know, some type of, you know, augmented reality type contact lens you know which is something we've seen in the movies but you know I mean he was telling me like that kind of thing is close you know like they're using the same technology to you know improve people's vision they're using it to restore vision in people that aren't able to see now um, you know there's just a matter of time like they just need to shrink the technology and if you look at what's happening with cell phones and everything else like it's exponentially you know shrinking so it's not going to take very much for them to be able to do that so everything that Chris just said I think is absolutely going to happen and it's going to happen in a number of different ways, you're going to be walking down the street. Ads are going to be targeted towards you. You know, your television is going to specifically target ads towards you. Your refrigerator, your coffee maker, any place that they can put a screen is going to target ads towards you. And it's going to know what you're responding to because it's going to be able to watch your eyes. It's going to know whether you're paying attention or whether you're looking away. Like all those types of things, it's all being captured right now. You know, it's it's going to get really ugly. You know, before it gets better, I think we're going to all get to the point where we're going to want to just live on an island and hide from this
0: like a vacation is literally going to be trying to find a way to get away from the electronics well as as bullish as i am on nfts and crypto uh this whole metaverse thing i have no interest in it whatsoever i do not want to live in a ready player one world and i know some people think that's like wonderful like whether it's goggles or retina implants but this idea of moving through a virtual world and buying virtual real estate and interacting with a virtual avatar i have no interest in it whatsoever i I will until the day i die i will go and i will take a walk in the real woods not in some virtual woods (laughs) i want to go to a real beach not a virtual beach it just sounds stupid to me i have zero interest in it i'm not saying it's not coming i'm just saying i will not be part of it in any shape or form
1: so you won't sit in the front row for your favorite band's concert nope
0: virtually nope no interest in the hologram uh, performances by dead performers. None of that. No. I, I, went I the feel we need deal. to get
1: that in writing. I, I, I can see you doing that. You know, like, oh, I can see so-and-so from...
0: No. No. no All right. Not me. We got
1: you, we, we got you on tape. Let's Fun see we're at in five yeah. years.
0: <laughs> All right. We have one last question to, to see us out. This is another one from Christian. He says... Uh, out of the three of you, who would be on Santa's naughty list? and I think that's Zach. I don't think there's any I don't <laughs> think there's any doubt there, is there. <laughs>
1: Well, the thing, you know, like I, we started this off saying I'm trying to find dirt on the guy and I don't know of any. So if he's on Santa's <laughs> naughty list, then, you know, he's he's, he's probably got, the, yeah, he, he probably should be, but he's very good at hiding whatever it is he's doing. I think we should task our audience with that. Like uh, in the comments, I want to see, you know, I want everybody to get out there, put their detective hat on, find something that Zach's doing that we don't know about and write it up in the comments. Let's, hey, let's throw this guy in front of the bus. I mean,
0: he can fool us, but Santa knows when you're naughty or nice. So
1: Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Santa's, Santa's all over that.
0: All right. Well, uh, thanks to all of our patrons for sending in those wonderful questions. Uh, very thoughtful and always fun to tackle. Really appreciate that. Um, so next week we got a little special thing going on, right, J.D.?
1: Yeah, we've got Hugh Howie back with another um, behind-the-scenes report on Wool. Um, yeah, I, I, I haven't heard this yet, so I'm not sure where, where he goes with it. But knowing, knowing Hugh, he, you know, hopefully he's interviewing some people, but he seems to tell us some nuggets that you're, we're not going to be able to, to get through the, the regular press. But um, just so cool to see what's going on behind the scenes as they're putting that production together.
0: Yeah, yeah, really nice of him, too, to be generous with his time and kind of give us some updates on it. So, uh, yeah, that's coming next week. Uh, another talk with Hugh Howie. All right. To our listeners, make sure you go to writersincpodcast.com and grab the free revision masterclass where you can see the storytelling process from beginning to end. We'll see you next episode and have a great week of writing. Thanks for listening to this episode
1: of Writers Inc. Access the show notes and leave a comment at writersincpodcast.com.